Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. So even when old, he will never depart from it. Well, now I'm just strengthening the nature of that verse, which just raises an even bigger question. Well, wait, wait, Bishop, then, I mean, you got people raising up their children this way, and then they go away to college, or they get influenced by their colleagues or influenced by their friends, and suddenly it's a different person. I think that the reason we don't see this verse coming out the way we think it should come out is that we're misunderstanding primarily what training is. Look, it doesn't say parents train up a child, although we know that's the implication because of the word child in there. It says train up, train. And you know what? In the world we live in now, parents aren't the only ones training children. So when a parent says, I've taught my child this, I've taught my child that, I've taught my child, I've trained my child, yeah, but you're not the only one who's trained them. And when they come back with a different worldview, it's because obviously somebody retrained them. Trained them to think something else. And I say, look, there are at least seven trainers in our culture today. Now, if you go back 100 years, this would probably be very different. You know, probably be very different. I haven't really thought through that, but, but it's obvious how much more complicated a world we live in today. But, but here are the seven trainers that we in the modern era have to be considering. Well, obviously, parents should be the first and foremost, but peers, peers who don't share the values you're teaching to your family and will impact your children, schools, who don't share the values of your family and will impact your children. Colleges, obviously, and universities who definitely don't share the values of your family and will impact your children. Colleagues that they work with. They come under the influence of some folks who don't share your values. The culture, obviously. The, the general tenor of the culture, I think I share with you all, you know, my children were, uh, my daughter, two daughters specifically, went to, to Christian school, and they would come home sometimes with, uh, with a, a CD, or uh, 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 not a CD, but a, a tape, at that point, tape cassettes. And um, I, I was one of those parents, and I guess my wife was too, although I'm, I'm accused of having done it more, that... In my house, there are no spaces off limits. I look at everything. I search everything. I am going in your room. You can count on it. And I'm going to look in your drawers. I'm going to look under your mattress. I'm going to look under your bed. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I got some surprises when I did that from time to time, too. Uh, but it was good because it allowed me to arrest some things that otherwise might have led to some very horrible conclusions if I had not caught it at the very beginning. Well, one of the things, I'd see cassettes, you know, and I'd plug them in, see, well, what is the music? That's not Christian music. <laughs> That's not gospel music. <laughs> 
So, so I go pick up my children from school and they get in the car and I say, what's this? Eyes get big. Oh, oh, daddy, that's something a friend gave me. I said, well, you know where it's going, right? Yeah, in the trash. In the trash. We don't, we, you don't listen to this. We should be listening to music that glorifies God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so look, all this, these other influences, and for Christians, the church maybe has a good influence that is affirming your values. Maybe. Because, you know, some of these churches, I mean, you know, you, yeah, so I, in fact, I to tell, sometimes I hear Christians complain about their churches, and I think to myself, and sometimes I'll say, well, why are you there? I mean, why would you be going someplace that doesn't affirm what you believe? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had one guy told Pastor Marlon, and uh, he, 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 he got in touch with him because he heard me say it on the air, got in touch with him, say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I didn't want to be misunderstood, but basically told his, his pastor, you know, about we were praying for our country, for the Constitution, we're going to be praying against Marxism and socialism and communism, and pastor says, well, I don't think it's biblical to pray against Marxism, socialism, and communism. <laughs> really? Oh, I mean, if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that's the work of the devil. Why wouldn't we pray against it? Amen. I mean, we pray against COVID, right? I mean, we pray against anything that we know is not God glorifying. Why would, that, why would there be an exception? And I guess he called Pastor Marlin back to kind of explain, <laughs> well, wait a minute, maybe you misunderstood a little bit, but as far as I'm concerned, the answer should have been, Praise God, because this mess is infecting our country and is capturing the imaginations of our young people, and we need to pray against it. Amen. Well, if you're going to a church where they're afraid to say, we need to pray against and stand against Marxism, socialism, and communism, and you're a Christian who knows that that's evil, why are you there? Amen. And you know the answer you often get? Well, you know, my pastor, he's a wonderful man, and this, that, and the other, and I'm sure that's true. I'm not doubting that at all. But look, I just said all these influences, if you want to add to peers and schools and colleges and colleagues and culture, and even the church is not affirming your values, you may be in a situation where your child has now come back from college with all these wrong ideas that were in one way or another being sown all along the way. And all college did was to allow them to flower. So, so we, we've got to control the influences over our children. When we think about training our children up in the way it should go, the way they should go, it's not just about what we instill in our children. It's also about guarding against what others may be trying to instill in them as well. Because what you may have is a parallel training system. You're training them over here, but then somebody else is training them over there. And you look up one day, and this is a different child than the one you taught, and you say, well, where did that come from? Well, it was, it was, it was being instilled all along by other means that you simply weren't paying attention to. Amen? Amen. Amen. So look, in this day and time, not only does it not take a village, I don't want any village trying to teach my children. <laughs> my goodness gracious, I... The village is a mess. Amen. The village. It takes a village. No, it doesn't. You may have to fight the village. 
Amen. 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 I remember, you know, we were very strict about what our children could watch on television. And I remember one time one of my children had gone to spend the night with a friend and, and we got a call. I got a call about a movie they were letting the children watch. And, 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 and my daughter was precocious enough to say, I know this is not something my parents would approve of, called me and told me. And I went and got my daughter. Went and got her. Um, and, and look, didn't hesitate either. Because that was the other thing I was, I was known to show up unexpectedly. Oh, yes. You going where? Oh, okay. Look up. There's daddy. That's right. There's daddy. Because I was guarding my children. I, you know. So the village could be the worst thing that ever happens to them. But see, this is the socialist idea. But, you, well, you know, they'll be better off if you don't. In fact, I, you all heard about this Harvard professor. In fact, I put, put it up on the screen a few weeks ago. Harvard professor saying homeschooling is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a child. Because the parents exercise tyrannical control over the child's views. What? Oh, I see. You don't want the parents exercising control. You want to exercise control. Now, look, I am not a child psychologist. I don't even pretend to be one when I'm standing up here preaching. <laughs> so, so don't take this as child psychology. I say, Sister Jackson, I have done this, and this is just based on my thoughts and observations about rearing our children. And I basically break their, their coming up into five stages of development, roughly. One is infancy, where you got total control, right? Because they can't do anything for themselves. So you got to feed them, you got to clothe them, you got to change their diapers, and you know, you got to just, just do everything for them. They are completely and totally dependent upon mommy and daddy. And then you get into the toddler years where they begin to explore a little bit and get away from mommy and daddy, just a little bit. I mean, so they're around you, but, but if they're in this room, they may run to the back, or they may run over here to play with another child, or they may see something that interests them. So they're starting to explore a little bit. You still got pretty much total control. But you can begin to see their little personality and their interests and their curiosity starting to come out so that you're no longer carrying them around in your arms. Now they're starting to sort of venture out a little bit on their own. But still, you've got near total control over them. And then you get into the pre-adolescent years. And you know, there is data that shows that the middle school years are the most dangerous years for a child's development because that's where children often go from basically reflecting the values of their parents to starting to reflect the values of their peers. And st you st start to see, see them beginning to change. And I told you all one time, I came to church when we were up in Boston, and this, this, this kid that I'd known um, for years, I, I pulled up into the parking lot and came out, got out of my car, and this kid was in the church parking lot just cursing up a storm. And I, I stopped him. I said, boy, what are you, where, where? I, knew he, I knew he didn't learn that at home because I know his parents. I said, what is wrong with you? Where are you? Why are you talking like that? And his big brother came up. He said, Bishop, well, then Reverend. He said, Reverend, he didn't talk, start talking like that until he started going to that school. Because he heard all his friends talking like that. 
and, and you know, look, the desire to fit in and, and everything. And, and before you know it, wait, who is this child? This child's not hearing all this at home, but he's hearing it out there and it's having an impact. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then, and then of course, so that's, that's sort of the pre-adolescent into the adolescent years where they start to get influenced by others and they want to fit in. They want everybody to like them. And so now they're starting to develop their own friends, starting to develop their own tastes, except they're not being developed in a vacuum. They're being developed by the people that are around them and what they think is cool and what they think is good and what they think is right. You know, I saw a Christian not too long ago, and you all have heard me talk about this, who got just recently got a tattoo. And uh, I wasn't in the position to really say anything about it, although there were some other people around who kind of teased about it. Um, and I've said many times before, nobody wakes up, looks in the mirror and says, you know what, I've got a novel idea. I want to get some ink and put a mark on my flesh. <laughs> Nobody does that. But you see other people. Oh, that looks cool. Oh, that looks cool. Oh, you know, apparently this thing is really popular now. Oh, yeah, me too. Say so you're being influenced by the culture around you. I said no man ever woke up one morning, looked at himself in the mirror and thought, I mean, a man now. I'm, I'm talking about a man who's clear about his heterosexuality, looked in the mirror and thought, boy, I would really look good with two great big diamond earrings in my ears. Well, we know that. And by the way, even with people wearing them, I've never woke up and looked in the mirror and thought, boy, I sure would look good with diamond earrings in my ears. I still don't understand. But you know, I've often said, I would like to see a guy with great big diamond earrings in his ear and walk up to him and say, man, those are some beautiful earrings. Where can I get a pair of those for my wife? And see what kind of response you get. But here again, people, this is the influence of the culture. It's, it's not, people aren't coming up with this stuff on their own. And so then you get into the adolescent and teen years and high school and pre-adult and, and you get the physical and emotional attachments that they have to their friends and, and activities and entertainment and music that is swirling all around them. And everybody around them, particularly if they're going to a public school, everybody around them is into the latest fad, the latest star, the latest celebrity. And all of that stuff now is starting to become very, very important to them because they want to fit in. Now, let's assume that this child has been raised maybe in a Christian home. And, and, and sent to Christian school, and now they become a young adult, and they start to get out into the world. Maybe they go to a secular college, or maybe they, they don't go to college right away. They go out, and they go into the work-a-day world, and they start to get around other people, and you start to see them change then. Because look, and I think this is what this is getting at when I say raise up a child doesn't mean just an infant. Because you know what? People in early adulthood are very impressionable. I'm convinced of this, again, just my personal observation, that adults don't really solidify a sense of their convictions and values until they are well into their 20s. And sometimes in their early adult years, they can come under the influence of people who can get them all twisted up. I've seen it happen. And people, you... 
you describe what they were before that, and then you see this influence coming, you say, that, I, that couldn't happen. Yeah, it can. I've seen it happen. And you know what that means to me? That means to me that parents have got to be as aware and as concerned in the early stages of their children's adulthood as they are when they are teenagers. Now, it might be a little different in terms of how you approach it, but I think you still got to be prepared to try to exercise influence and challenge the other influences that may come into your child's life until those convictions that you taught them begin to be so deeply rooted in their hearts that they're prepared to fight for them. Because up until the time that that happens, trying to fit in with all the friends and colleagues may make them, well, you know, we can compromise a little bit. We can, you know, I mean, we don't have to be so rigid. I had a preacher say to me one time here in one of my sermons, he said, you know, he said, you, you, you are a, a, a great preacher. And I, okay, well, thank you and all that. But, you know, you're just too dogmatic. I say, yeah. <laughs> I say, and I don't intend to change. I'm very dogmatic. I mean, I'm dogmatic about the things that are important to be dogmatic about. And, and so until they become really dogmatic about the things that are really important, parents can't just say, well, you know what? Johnny's 21 now. He's on his own. I think you've got to keep saying, no, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, mommy and daddy are still very concerned. We're still here and, and, and we still want to have some influence. And, and that may go on longer for some children than for others until those those values are so deeply rooted. Like I said, that that child's prepared to fight for them. Amen. 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 So I think that's what it's getting at. It says train up a child. Yeah. If you've got all those influence doing either none of those influences impacting a child or all those influences impacting the child and affirming your values so that that's what the child gets rooted and grounded in without any kind of parallel training system operating in their lives. Yeah, you've got a much better chance that that child not only will not depart and then come back when they're old, but that they will be consistent all the days of their lives. And I think that's what the scripture is getting at. Even when they're old, they will not depart from them. In other words, it'll last them throughout their entire lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our text says, look, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition, training and admonition of the Lord. Now that word children, technon, is again, one of those words that does not imply infancy. It implies a son or daughter of any age. So it contemplates, again, everything from, from childhood to young adulthood. I mean, this idea that, that children are grown at 18, no, they're not. No, they're not. They think they are. I thought I was. But just as dumb, <laughs> you know, that, that old um, uh, saying uh, by Mark Twain, you know, when I was 14 years old, uh, I could not believe how stupid my father was. He said when I was 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in seven years, meaning that I was the dumb one, <laughs> but I didn't realize that my father had the wisdom. And as I matured, I began to understand 
that, yeah, he's right, I'm wrong. And my father said some things to me when I was in, uh, a teenager, and I would just kind of shake my head and say, yeah, 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 okay, right, 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 right. And then later on, I look back and say, wow, he was right. He was right. <laughs> you know? But you couldn't convince me of that because after all, I was a teenager. I knew everything. So technon, a son or daughter at any age. And by the way, this word implies spiritual relationship as well as biological relationship. Parents in the Lord. That, that, that your biological parents ought to be your parents in the Lord. Some people don't have biological parents who are parents in the Lord. And they really do need parents in the Lord. They need a spiritual father in the Lord, maybe a spiritual mother in the Lord, somebody who can help them to navigate life when their parents aren't in the faith. Y'all know that, right? You got some children that get saved and their parents, I've had children get saved and go home and their parents get mad. Who do you think you are going to that church and giving your life to Jesus? You didn't, I mean, instead of being glad, they're mad because, of course, they're concerned it might bring them under conviction. So, so parents of the Lord can mean more than just biological parents. It says honor, children honor your parents or revere them or value them very highly. In other words, the ability of godly parents to give godly advice to their children is invaluable. It really is. It's invaluable. I've said to people who were talking about getting married, young people talking about getting married, I would say, well, what do your parents say? Well, you know, they're not for it. And da, da, da. Well, are they, they, they're godly people. They're praying people. You better slow down. If your parents are praying, they've been praying for you all their lives, and they're not in agreement, you better pause. Now, of course, nobody wants to hear that. But I've told young people that you better pause because I really believe that if this is God and you've got godly parents, they will come in agreement. And if they don't come in agreement, you better slow down and either give God a chance to show them that that's what he's doing or a chance to show you this is not what he's doing. And you're about to make a big mistake. Amen. Amen. Says that it may be well with you, that you may prosper and that you may live long in the earth. In other words, God says there's a blessing that comes with valuing your parents very highly. That says, you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, fathers can easily fall into a pattern because fathers tend not to be as emotional as mothers. But where fatherhood emotion comes out most tends to be in anger. Now, that's not true across the board, but it's. There's a pattern that fathers aren't terribly effusive with their praise, aren't terribly emotional about their children until they get mad. And then all of a sudden, here, here all the emotion comes. Boy, didn't I tell you? Well, what the Bible is saying, don't do that. Don't fall into that pattern. Don't allow anger to characterize your relationship with your children. That provokes them to wrath. See, and, and, and by, by the way, once a child is provoked and feels that, that all he or she gets from their parent, their, their father, is anger, guess what that makes them do? Resist everything you tell them. Because if you, look, if you don't respect the messenger, even when the message is right, you're going to resist the message. Now that's the truth. May not be right, may not be the best thing, but it's the truth. You think about your own life. 
Think about the point at which you lost confidence or respect for somebody and then ask the question, if that person told you something right, how you would receive it. I guarantee you, you'd be very resistant. You'd want to hear it from somebody else. Because that's just the way it works. So you don't want to provoke your children to wrath, fathers. You want to instead train them and admonish them. And, and, and here's, here's how I break that down. First of all, set an example for them. You know, I say my word is very important to me. Why? Because my father set that example for me. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my father was absolutely fastidious about his keeping his word. I mean, if he told you that he was going to do something, he would travel heaven and earth to get it done. Or he would die trying. I'm, that's just the way he was. If he told me he was going to do something, look, if my father said, boy, if you do this, I'm going to whoop you, I could count on that. It was going to happen. But if he told me, son, if you do this, I'm going to reward you, I could count on that too. It was going to happen. And it, it made me want to be a man who honors my word. Amen? Amen. So set an example first. And then reward them for good. Correct them for what is wrong. Chastise them, but in a context of love, not anger. I already covered that. Because look, the result we're seeking is not children who fear you, but children who love and respect and want to please you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? See, that, that's, that's a much better outcome than, now look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a healthy fear of one's father. Uh, that's where the fear usually comes in. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love my father passionately. I mean, my father was my hero. But I'll tell you what, I didn't want to cross him either. Because I knew that just as good as he was to me, if I did something wrong in his sight and he told me there was going to be punishment, there was going to be punishment. And so I, I had a healthy fear, but I didn't, I wasn't in fear when my father came home. Oh, oh what's he going to do to me? I loved him. I was, I, I loved being around him. I, I loved spending time with him. Even into adulthood, I did. Love being around my daddy. So, so, but, but I also knew that my father was an authority figure who was prepared to enforce that authority. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you want your children to want to be around you, to want to please you, not, not to walk in fear of you. Although, here again, a healthy fear, just like uh, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we don't walk in, in, in abject fear of God. We Christians know God loves us. He wants to do us good. But I tell you what, when people talk about folks who used to believe in God and now they don't, and I think about hell, no way. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think, who, how, who in the world would ever choose to go against God once you've known him? Amen. You've got to be crazy. Amen. I would never do that. But I'm, I'm not walking with God and serving God because I'm afraid every day he's going to send me to hell. I'm walking with him and serving him because I love him. Amen? Amen? Amen. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Make no mistake about that. Amen? Hey, and look, you know what? I'm convinced of this. All this mess going on in our country right now, all these riots, and I, I really believe a lot of that stuff is rooted and grounded in father anger. I'm serious. It's rooted and, you know, think about this, the hatred of the founding fathers. Hatred for them. As if they were still alive today. Pull down their statues. I mean, <laughs> you didn't know that man. <laughs> They haven't done anything to you, but yeah, but pull them down. I mean, they wrapped the head of George Washington in a statue. I think this is out in Washington. 
wrapped his head in a flag and burned a flag and pulled the statue down. A lot of this stuff is, is father anger. I'm convinced that Colin Kaepernick is full of anger against his own father. Because of his band. Right? 